it's really important to sort of always be reminding yourself like this is this story belongs to somebody else and I'm really just in being entrusted with it and have the responsibility to to do it in a way that honors them and and, and reflects their reality. Welcome to Bittersweet Reflections, a six-part audio series where bittersweet contributors reflect on memorable stories. I'm Robert Winship. In this episode of Reflections, we talk to Steve Jeter, a photographer and filmmaker who looks back on a story about Stand Proud. Steve Jeter is a filmmaker and photographer who specializes in international documentary projects, having worked in over 30 countries throughout Latin America, Africa, and the Middle East. He is also a contributor to Bittersweet Monthly. Steve, thanks for talking with us today. Thanks. Yeah. You are a photographer and filmmaker, but I want to begin by asking, how do you describe your work with Bittersweet to others? I actually get a lot of um, inquiries. Like People are really interested when I talk about certain projects, like, ah, where, where did this come from? Or who's how this get funded? Or what, who is mm-hmm. this for? So I do end up describing that quite a bit. So yeah, I, I mean, I basically just say, you know, it's a it's a pro bono kind of creative outlet for um, filmmakers, creative people in general, to sort of just have a have a kind of a blank canvas for telling a story and and having creative freedom to try to interpret the story for um, a worthwhile organization. Um, so it, it's it's sort of covering two of the of the major um, factors that I look for in a project, which is is getting to work with uh, professional people that I want to work with and on stories that I think are worthwhile and uh, accomplishing something. And for the listener, Steve, you've been working with Bittersweet since the very first issue. Is that correct? Yeah. Uh-huh. This series is titled Reflections, and we've asked each guest to select a story that they were a part of. Steve, you picked Learning to Walk and Standing Proud, which covers the organization Stand Proud. Stand Proud helps polio survivors and youth with other disabilities to be able to walk. And this piece also features a short film titled Un Architect. What is this story about, and also why were you interested in telling it, or what drew you into being a part of this story? So Stand Proud uh, is an organization in the Democratic Republic of Congo, a town called Goma on the border with Rwanda, and uh, they deal with uh, issues of, of mobility, um, disabilities with walking, um, a lot of polio. Uh, there was some partial paralysis from um, bad malaria injections, we were told, and a few other issues. So everyone there had some sort of um, mobility issue, and the Stand Proud builds braces for legs for their legs to um, allow them to walk and those can be as simple as something like uh, sort of a bottom of leg and ankle brace for one foot all the way up to full braces that almost go up to the to the chest for people with more serious issues but what was great about the organization and really felt like it was right in the center of our um, mission as bittersweet was that it was run by people who also had the same disabilities so people who were with the same braces people who had come from that same experience, Congolese, um, and they were helping other people, other kids, uh, with the issues that they had overcome. So that was really cool. I mean, they're they're an amazing organization. They have some outside funding and sponsorship, but it's just completely uh, self-contained 
uh, on the ground at least, uh, by, by Congolese people for Congolese people in their community. And not just that, people with the same experience growing up with that disability. Um, so that seemed really powerful. I felt like, yeah, mm-hmm. that was just exactly the kind of story and organization that Bittersweet should be doing. And um, it was exciting to go and, you know, try to figure out how to tell that story, which was challenging, but uh, a really amazing experience. The previous two interviews we've done for this series have been with writers. You are a photographer and a filmmaker. And on this particular project, you did both. And we'll talk about that specific sort of challenge in a minute. But overall, what was challenging about this story? Uh, I mean, what wasn't challenging about the story? (laughs) (laughs) I think one of the first experiences that we had there that was a real like lesson for us as filmmakers, um, Brandon, as the lead filmmaker, I was sort of second camera filming and um, producing and also doing photography. One of the first challenges we and and kind of mistakes we made that I think was actually a, a valuable lesson for us was previous to arriving in Congo, we had kind of had this proposal to um, that was suggested to get the kids to show us how they had been before their um, braces, before they had their kind of their mobility and disability issues solved with these braces. Mm-hmm. This was part of the plan going in. And uh, so we went in and we asked them, would you mind, you know, we know you've done this before for some promotional materials and just sort of showing the the dramatic transformation would you mind showing us before and after kind of for this for how these braces and this kind of physical therapy that you've done has changed your life and the kids said absolutely not (laughs) without exception and it was one of those things where as soon as they said that we were both like yeah well of course you know and you're right and we probably should have asked it in the first place and i maybe i had that hesitation but it was confirmed by the response we got And so it was just a lesson to learn of um, just in a larger sense, like as much as possible going into a situation like that where we're such outsiders to to spend the first day, if possible, if you have that luxury, the first amount of time you have with these people, with the people whose story you're trying to tell, with people who are entrusting their story to you, really, like Mm -hmm. just kind of not going in guns blazing and going in uh, to observe and going in to sort of like earn some trust first. And so we basically put our cameras away and we said, look, forget about that. Let's start over again and let's just like hang out, had a notebook, took some notes. And Brandon and I spent the rest of the day and I think part of the next day too, um, just observing, seeing how they're, how they live their lives, like what the, what their situation was like at the center, you know, kind of, how this organization had helped change their lives. How has that sort of lesson changed the way that you approach storytelling for stories ongoing? I know you've done more bittersweet stories after this. It was just sort of a reminder and a reinforcement of lessons I had been learning all along the way, but that was a very powerful one. And it just felt like a cap to that sort of phase and, and really trying to go in and um, to every situation if you had that luxury, like I said, uh, just going into every situation with a willingness to sort of let people tell their own stories as much as possible, mm-hmm. you know, that's easier said than done. It's it, You have the responsibility as a filmmaker, as a storyteller, to try to condense it. 
just in the beginning, at least, it, it's really important to to always be reminding yourself like this is this story belongs to somebody else, and I'm really just in being entrusted with it and have the responsibility to to do it in a way that honors them and 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 reflects their reality. In thinking about your role on this particular story, both as a photographer uh, and a videographer, I'm interested in the difference for you as an agent of narrative between coming into the story as a photographer and coming into it as a, a filmmaker. Well, I would say our primary goal was the film. Is it was is, is a short answer to that. Is our primary goal was the film. The photo shoots were were kind of secondary in this case, just because the film was such a huge, ambitious undertaking mm-hmm. that it became the, the huge focus for us on the ground in this particular um, experience. But along the way, you know, like I think starting through the lens of, of the film and the story we were doing there, the, the photography, um, the photo essay ideas that came out of that were sort of organic, you know, like our emphasis on, for example, I, I did the photo shoot on shoes and I thought it just kind of struck me at one point as we were filming um, how that was the unifying, you know, kind of factor. That was this unifying sort of um, representation of each person's experience. And all these shoes, like there were some, you know, brand new Timberlands versus like some really old beat up Air Jordans versus like, you know, just like everything in between. But each of them had this sort of like um, metal kind of attachment uh, that stuck out of, that was kind of underneath the sole and stuck up on the side in the back where the heel is. And and that feature was an interesting sort of unifying um, factor. It was something that kind of reminded, I don't know, it just I just felt like to me it was a really um, concise way to sort of demonstrate you know like this is a shared experience between everybody from the 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 level of management all the way down to the eight-year-old kid who just arrived although these devices can seem cumbersome at times it's it's very interesting that they're integrated into daily street wear exactly yeah and it's something that a lot of times the guys who had the smaller braces they would wear them maybe under their pants or something and you would just see like this this indicator that you had to be looking for you you wouldn't Mm -hmm. necessarily notice it right away you know that that was the that was how much they had managed to overcome their their initial disability was that they were you know the only indication if you weren't looking very closely was just this tiny little metal bracket connected to their shoe so yeah it's it's cool how it it does I like how you said that like it connects to their everyday life it integrates with their kind of normal routine what is the difference between approaching a story as a photographer strictly and as a filmmaker strictly yeah, it's a tough question, actually. Um, this I'll, I'll just speak to the film aspect a, a little bit, which of the one of the challenges I guess from before was that this was the first time in a bittersweet story where we were basically trying to create a fictionalized narrative that reflected true uh, events, reflected a real um, story of one of the beneficiaries of this organization. So that was a very unique challenge to try to be as true as possible to the reality, but intentionally telling a, a fictionalized story that we could try to tell and finish in, in one week. Um, you know, so we sort of had to 
fast forward the process. We had to kind of see the beginning and middle and maybe not quite the end of this kid's journey who, you know, in this, in our story kind of just arrived at the center and it was very real for that kid. It had just kind of happened a bit before. So he, he acted a bit and showed us, you know, like what it was like when he was first using the crutches. And, and that was the, the, the extent to which he was willing to accommodate us. He wasn't going to show us like before and after. But once we had earned mm-hmm. their trust, we got to a point where he was willing to show us a bit of the struggle, at least, of like, okay, this is how I used to be on the crutches and I stumbled a bit. But now, obviously, he was very capable at the stage where we encountered him when we arrived there. So anyways, that was an interesting challenge just in terms of filming. I'd done plenty of documentary stuff, but this was an interesting sort of blending of of documentary storytelling and fiction. It was sort of like historical fiction in a way. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, yeah, so that was uniquely challenging. The challenge between um, that and photography, I would say for me, just to really boil it down, it's a big question, but for me, the, the challenge between filmmaking and, and photography is with photography, you have the opportunity to participate more, I think, when you're um, on the ground, when you're, uh, when you're working uh, with an organization like this. And in filmmaking, you really have to, just in terms of like raw number of hours that the camera's on, you just have to separate yourself more from the scene. I think you really have to sort of be um, outside of the world a lot more as a filmmaker. Yeah, photography, definitely to me, it's more of like a, a kind of a pure art form. It's like you're, 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 you're literally like endowing this incredible amount of importance to a millisecond of time. You're giving like one, you know, like, like a fraction of a moment uh, the, the responsibility of explaining an entire day or month or year in a way. Henri Cartier-Bresson, a French photographer, early 1900s, used to say the decisive moment. You sort of have to wait. And so it, to me, it's like, um, it's this distillation, you know, and this may be kind of obvious, but it's sort of like you're distilling everything down to a single kind of frozen frame. And so um, easier some ways, harder in others. You know, I think it's just really a, a different kind of challenge. And uh, I like them both, but it is really hard to do and kind of impossible to do both on the same trip really well sometimes. Uh, it's just a different way of looking at things. You talked about in creating this film, An Architect, that you were using as an actor uh, a young man that had recently come to be a part of the community there as an actor, as well as a, a number of other people as sort of actors but kind of reenacting their their actual experience they're you know playing soccer and and you have the architect right creating these fittings for for this this kid's leg what is it like to to use otherwise untrained actors to recreate the story of their their lives or to create the one story that kind of incorporates their experiences yeah uh risky um you know untested uh uh, young actors in another country you know with with a very short time frame it's there's a lot of pressure um 
a lot of you know ways things can go wrong, and and they usually all all do. Um, I, I would say even larger than that. Not only did we, not only not only did we rely a lot on these kids to really kind of give us a truthful performance and take direction and and just really like accommodate us in an amazing way. We relied on the people around us to to help us. You know, it's just me and Brandon. It was two of us on this shoot. It was it's kind of an impossible job to do with two people. So not only the obvious assistance in terms of translation and and people kind of getting us around, drivers, fixers, that kind of thing. But we had people, you know, holding boom mics and cameras and um, lights and reflectors and all kinds of stuff, like like kids at the center and some of the adults as well. And, and we were just sort of having everyone participate out of necessity. But also, I, I, I think this was one of those experiences that I had on this trip in particular that really stuck with me, which was how that can go a long way in terms of, I think it's really, I think it's really an important part of the process is involving people. It's almost like a physical manifestation of what we were trying to do ideologically, which was to have, which was to allow people to have this agency in telling their own stories. And so it it was kind of a way of doing that uh, in terms of crew as well. Like you're, you're actually helping, you know, to, to film the story, handing somebody, um, you know, even if something simple as a light or a boom pole, um, but it also goes a long way in terms of like demystifying this gear for people in a country like the Congo where they don't really have access to anything like this. So we showed up with, you know, uh, you know, like Ronin uh, stabilizers. We showed up with a drone. We showed up with a lot of equipment. And maybe maybe for us it was less than we use in some situations. But showing up there, it, it was probably the biggest film crew that had ever been there i mean maybe it definitely at the center and so i think that goes a long way in terms of demystifying the um the equipment and kind of breaking down this barrier between you as the foreigner in this case as a white foreigner who's coming to an african country i've got all this stuff all this gear just kind of the representation of wealth um from the the society and and background that i come from I just feel like it's a really important step of showing like you could do this too, you know, and, and I and I know it's there's a barrier of access to this kind of equipment, but maybe this is a chance to, you know, get someone interested in, in, in that type of world. That leads me to one theme I've talked about with other contributors is empowerment as it relates to both the subjects of these pieces, as well as the writers and filmmakers and photographers who cover them. How do you empower through storytelling? Yeah, I think I, I think about this a lot. Um, there's a bit of self-importance that I see out in the world in this kind of in, in this arena that feels like you might be giving yourself a little bit too much credit for solving the world's problems. And so I think going into a story like this with a realistic sense of like what's achievable um, and, and kind of the scope of the project you're trying to do is really important. Just not kind of ascribing too much uh, power to yourself in a way. Um, but that being said, I think it is, there is potential for this kind of thing to be empowering. I think uh, empowering in the sense of bringing attention to places like this, um, worthwhile organizations like this, like Stand Proud in the Congo, um, that can be empowering 
in very practical terms, like in, in terms of fundraising, finances. Um, but I thought that, um, like I was saying earlier, you know, just kind of putting camera equipment into hands of, of the kids we were working with. You know, I don't want to break my own rule by ascribing too much importance to the things I was doing while in the field, but I really felt like that was an important step, not only in building trust with them and kind of establishing relationship and, and rapport and, and helping them to understand that we, you know, wanted them to participate in their story and in the telling of their story. Um, but it really felt like just a unique chance um, for them to kind of like see us, you know, point the cameras back at us <laughs> and kind of like see how this is just a tool. Um, and, and me and Brandon and, and people like us are very fortunate to have it and to be able to do these stories and, and, and to take these trips. But uh, at the end of the day, it's just a tool that someone like them could use, you know, and, and, and um, who's to say they, they couldn't. Um, uh, I don't know. I, I felt like that was one of the facets of the ways in which we were empowering people. It's not just about coming back with a great story that's going to get them a lot of funding and, you know, a lot of social media traction. I felt like our interaction with people while we were there on the ground through the process of filming was equally important in a way. Um, I think in a lot of cases, it's easy to just burn through that filming production phase and sort of feelings getting hurt or not doesn't matter. We just got to get the story. And um, I know where that comes from. Like I know that motivation, but I think it's just one thing that we've really tried to do um, as hard as it might be is to make the time to have relationships to sort of demonstrate while we're in the country, while we're on the ground, while we're with the people we're, we're filming to just demonstrate to them that we actually do care about their story and we care about trying to um, share it and also like honor and value them on a personal level through the process as much as possible. Is there anything that you can pull through maybe uh, from the Stand Proud story that you feel is relevant now? Maybe to you personally, maybe to Americans, but something that that maybe sticks with you in, in, in the sense that you're reflecting on it in our current time. Yeah, um, as I'm thinking about uh, current health crisis, current situation that we're in, a lot of travel restrictions, um, you know, for filmmakers like me, it's, it's a time of trying to reflect on and, and plan and strategize for how to continue to do this kind of work, um, which definitely won't look the same going forwards. But I feel like it's kind of a confirmation of that lesson I learned in the Congo and I've been learning for a long time. Um, and trying to figure out how to better accomplish for a long time, which is how to empower local people to tell their own stories, how to kind of rely more on, on people in on location, um, than, and, and then just doing it myself. And that's, it's kind of sad even to say that because I know that I might be putting myself out of a job with these kinds of projects. 
Um, I might be talking myself out of, you know, participation in, in a project like this. But I think it's just the reality is that as much as possible, we need to continue to transition towards letting people locally or empowering people locally, whatever that looks like. I'm not sure exactly how that would work, but finding ways to empower people locally to do this storytelling um, and to participate more and maybe take over, you know, like maybe uh, we need to be traveling less, you know, the, the, the role of the international filmmaker needs to sort of be scaled back a bit. And it's funny to say that because that's me. <laughs> that's a very broad sentiment, and I'm not exactly sure how it's going to look, but that is something that I've thought about a lot and I continue to think about, especially um, under the current circumstances. Yeah, I mean, I think it's been a really amazing experience working with Bittersweet. You know, it's always a new challenge. I feel like we walk into these scenarios almost kind of daring ourselves to fail <laughs> in a way. I think there's that challenge that comes along with the, um, the appeal of having creative freedom. There's that challenge of, all right, this is now completely on me. I don't have a producer. I can blame this on <laughs> Uh, I don't have, you know, these, these, as much structure or these constrictions that I wouldn't like in other projects. But now with this complete freedom, it's sort of, it can be intimidating. Um, and I think that's what I like about it. It keeps, um, just on a purely practical, like filmmaking level, it sort of keeps me on my toes. It's a good way to sort of experiment and um, just kind of challenge myself. And at the same time, hopefully, the goal is to, to, to tell a story that's worthwhile, that's helping a local organization and giving back to the community in a way. With the Congo story, we had all kinds of ideas. We were going to go all kinds of different directions. There was a different character at one point. So, yeah, it was really like a, a, an amazing experience of like stretching yourself creatively in every way and then fortunately, you know, coming out with something amazing in the end. You can find this story, including the film An Architect, at bittersweetmonthly.com slash stories. It was originally published in November of 2015. And you can see more from Steve Jeter at stevejeter.com. 